This morning, the sermon is called Three Glimpses of Christ, or Three Glances, as some of you may have heard something like this on a retreat. My hope for you this morning is this, that as we talk through the Bible or talk through a story in the Bible or something like that, that you would find a place that you could see yourself in the story. So in this first glimpse, I'm going to help you do that, just give you a little practice with it, okay? So finding yourself in the story, this is from Matthew 19, 13 through 15. I know the bulletin says something different for the second service. It, that's not what we're doing. That's, that's my fault and not, not the people that put the bulletin together. Okay, this is Matthew nineteen thirteen through 15. One day, some parents brought their ch- children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. So how do you find yourself in a story like this? Maybe you're, you don't see yourself as one of the disciples, or maybe you don't see yourself like a little child, and, and maybe you don't see yourself as Jesus. I hope you don't see yourself actually as Jesus. But there's another group in here in the story. There's the parents. So there's the parents, the disciples, the children, and Jesus. Did you catch that, that there's the parents? When you hear that, somebody's always, whenever somebody comes to Jesus, it's because somebody brought them somewhere along the line. Whether that's through an invitation to to church, and of course the way we say that is, make sure it's a specific invitation when you do it. Don't don't do it with a non-specific invitation like, hey, sometime, sometime along the way, we'll... um, go to church, you know, sometime in the next few months, but rather invite them specifically this way. Hey, next Sunday I'm going to church. Can I come by and get you and maybe we'll do lunch afterwards or something like that? That's a specific invitation. But, but people that are coming to Jesus are almost always brought. And then, of course, you've seen this. Other people, maybe you don't want to find yourself in this spot where in this case, you're the disciples, you've already been brought to Jesus somewhere along the line, but now you've got an idea of how it should be. And it shouldn't be Jesus. You know, I almost hear, when I hear this story, I hear it this way. Hey, there are adults here doing adult things. Don't raise your hand for this rhetorical question. Do you find your, yeah, thank you, Brandy. your hands in your pockets. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself in that spot where people are coming, to, coming and being around Jesus and you find yourself in the, in the hall monitor role and the, hey, there are adults here doing adult things. Keep pipe down back there. What does Jesus say about that attitude? The kingdom of heaven is for the likes of these. Not just children, not just children, but people that come with childlike faith. 
The people of the people of heaven, God's kingdom is made up of of a, of people that come with a childlike faith. Now, there's also other people there that often say, "Hey, there are adults doing adult things," and God's working with them too. We'll we'll deal with the attitude around how how we do that in another glimpse right here. But have you found yourself in the story yet? Is there a spot for you in the story? There's three spots here that, that are available. Remember, the job description for Jesus is not being offered. The job description is not being offered so that you can't fill that job. He's the Savior. You're not, right? So don't find yourself in the Jesus role at this moment. But there's the disciples, the children, and the people bring in the children. Bring in somebody into Jesus. Do you find yourself in one of those spots? It's okay. No, none of you. It's it's too big a grasp, too big a reach for you this morning. Has somebody ever brought you to Jesus or brought you to church? Then at some point in time, you were a kid. Have you ever brought somebody to church? Then some. Then somewhere in the story, you're the parents bringing somebody to Jesus. Have you ever thought, don't run in that building that's a special place? And, and then, then, then I hate to say this, but you're probably also in that other spot. Look, finding yourself in the story is not that difficult. If we have an easy one like this, there, I just did it. I find myself that I've been in all three of those shoes. And Jesus is working with me in that location. That's good news, isn't it? That Jesus is working with us wherever we are. But here it is that nobody, this is the one thing I want you to hear, that nobody ever comes without being brought. Nobody ever comes without being brought. Jesus' response when somebody is brought to him is, let them come. Let them come. Here's another story. Here's a second glance. After there's no actual room in Christianity for us to not be welcoming, because Jesus says, let them come. The second glance here, this is from John 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down to teach. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and, and placing her in the midst. By the way, I just want to say something just really outright that seems stunningly obvious to me every time I read this. Nobody is ever caught in adultery alone. <laughs> That's not how that works. Teacher, they said this to this woman, has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, is, we're commanded to stone such women, not just such women, just people caught in adultery. They're, they're, this, this is an incorrect use of the gender analysis here. So what do you say? And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to him, let him who is without sin among you be the first to stone her. 
And once more he bent down on the ground and wrote. And when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, from now on, sin no more. So who are the actors in this, in this group? Where are the places to find yourself in the story in this group? First off, there's Jesus and you're not him. I want to make, I made that clear in the last one, right? I'm going to do that again. Why are you not him? Because he's still around. We are people in need of a savior. Then there's the Pharisees bringing somebody. This is really interesting. They're bringing somebody to Jesus. Now, their motives aren't really good. They're doing it for a different purpose. They stand in the role of the accuser. This kind of drives me a bit nuts. I just want to go, ah. Every time somebody says to me, I'm, I'm just going to be the devil's advocate for a moment, he don't need no advocate. He's doing just fine on his own. He doesn't need anybody else to speak for him. And we don't need to get in that role. And then there's the woman, and there are those, and there are a whole bunch of people standing around watching. What is it that we need to learn from this story? Well, first, if I explain the story just a little bit, I want want to spend just a little bit on the story, and then we'll come back and sort of find yourself in the story. When Jesus bends down and writes on the ground, that's odd, isn't it? He's being asked a question, he bends down and he starts writing, and he stands up and he asks a question, and he bends down and he starts writing again. Whenever you see something like that, start asking yourself the question, is there a spot where God writes twice? The Ten Commandments. So he writes the first one, right? The Ten Commandments. He writes, God writes on the tablets, and they come down, and, and the people are caught in spiritual adultery. They're worshiping a calf, and Moses breaks them, breaks the tablets, And God says, I'll wipe them out and start over with you. And Moses intercedes. Moses intercedes. Says, for your name's sake, don't do that. And then he goes back up the hill and God writes again. And he comes back down. What is that saying about the story? What does it say? Look, Israel thought its basis was on the law, that its foundation of its whole country was on the law. We're based on the law. We're going to keep the law. That's the law. But in truth, the basis of their country, their whole thing was based on grace and forgiveness because they broke the law as it was being given and they were not destroyed for it, but rather intercession was made. What is in there? First off, another little thing that people don't notice about this story here is Jesus actually does correct her. She doesn't go away being non-corrected. It's just done without the role of the accuser. 
That's interesting, isn't it? We like to have the accuser around so we can make sure that we get every, everybody gets the swat on the backside that they deserve. That's not the way grace works. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, not everybody gets what they deserve. Nobody wants what they deserve. They want other people to get what they deserve. They want grace for themselves. Ask yourself that question. Do you want what you deserve? Or do you want grace? Can you find yourself in the story where you're drug in front of you? Another, here's, here, I'm going to put my hands back in my pockets, right? This is an example to you. Don't, don't raise your hand for this. Have you ever been drugged in front of people with people yelling about what you've done? Punish them. Punish, punish Dave. He's done stuff. I have. I have. I remember an early lesson that my sister taught me when I was getting in trouble once. She said, um, don't let them be the ones to tell your parent, mom and dad. <laughs> what she was essentially saying was settle out of court before the court shows up. <laughs> That's exactly what she was doing. Look, you're in trouble. You've done something wrong. Don't, don't make somebody else be the accuser. Admit it. Come forward. Seek forgiveness. Throw yourself on the mercy of the court right off. And then when they come to accuse you, the people that are in charge already know all about it. And they've already acted in, in forgiveness. That was an important lesson for me as, as a fourth grader. I wish I hadn't had to learn it so many times. Have you found yourself in this story yet? So in the first glimpse, we see that there's no real room to follow Jesus and be non-welcoming since he's welcoming and we're doing it his way. In this one, Jesus says there's no real room for the accuser in this equation. There's no real room for Satan's voice in the storyline. Now he does forgive her. Go and sin no more. Look, that is an important thing to recognize, that he's not saying go and just do what you've been doing. He also didn't say that to the accusers. Go and do what you've been doing. There's correction in the body of Christ, in the life of Christ. There is correction. Look, let the one who hasn't transgressed the law be the one to throw the first stone. That's correction. If you're out there going, they broke the law. Let me, let me rephrase that. I want mercy, but they, they deserve what they get. If you ever need to understand this, just, just look down at your speed lim- speed speedometer sometime when you're going over the sp- speed limit when you see a policeman say, I want what I deserve. Or do you want Mercy. You do. Find yourself in the story. But the people that are being brought to Jesus are being brought in a variety of ways. 
aren't they? Sometimes they're little kids to be blessed. Sometimes they're drug in in injustice. That's the second the second little glimpse I want to give of Jesus of, of how he's so much different than the way that we do things. The third glimpse. This is from John 3, verses 1 through 15. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, I don't want to go past that for a second. After dark one evening, under cover of darkness, secretly, or after the long day, whichever. He came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is one of these moments in Scripture where I want to I say, what? Didn't Nicodemus just say to him, we know you're from God, but then he just kind of, Jesus kind of asks another question right on top, puts another spot into, this, into the story. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. Now, this is, this is the verse that sort of explains this whole conversation to me. Nicodemus comes one way, and Jesus is on an entirely different tangent and making Nicodemus adjust. Have you ever found yourself in the story with Jesus where your head is what my father would say, head up in a locked position? You're going some way, you're going this way, and Jesus is right there going, we're going to talk about something different. You thought you came to say this, but this is what we're going to do. And this is why he says this. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or from where it is going. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher. And yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and I have seen. And yet you don't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven and as Moses was lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, look, if you thought Jesus writing on the ground in the previous glimpse was like a, a, a blast from the past, a well-known thing, when I said, when has God written on the ground twice, somebody said the Ten Commandments. Do you remember the storyline about Moses lifting up a pole in the wilderness? 
That is kind of an obscure thing for us, isn't it? So what was going on when the pole was lifted up is Moses was the leader, but a whole bunch of people said, you know, I think we ought to be leaders. I'm going to come back to this position. You know, in the storyline, the job description for Savior is not being offered because the job is not open. You might think that you'd like to sit on the throne of the universe, but the job is not open. The throne is occupied by our Savior. Rebellion always sorts of, sort of asks this question, and that's what was going on. Moses is God's person, and he's in charge, but we think we'd do it better. You ever found yourself in that spot in the story? You don't have to do that, but I'll just tell you that, that the central idea of my life that I was saved out of was rebellion. And I've said that just recently a couple of times. Here it is. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, what was going on was God said, you're going to be rebellious? We don't need that in the camp. And poison vipers came in and started biting people. And God said to Moses, lift up a snake, a bronze snake in the wilderness, and as they look at it, they'll be saved from that. That makes perfect sense. If you're getting bit by a snake, you should look over there at that thing Moses is holding up. Is that how we treat snake bites? Talk about a non sequitur, something that doesn't follow, right? When we get snake bites, we use anti-venom and all these things. This is what he's talking about. This is how odd the conversation with Jesus is for Nicodemus. If you think that's how you treat snake bites, you're just wrong. That's not how we do it. But when God does something and he says, do it, it doesn't always make sense, but it always is effective and efficient. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And you know the next verse because it's been the most repeated verse ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Find yourself in the story. What's the story? Have you ever come to Jesus armed with all your knowledge in the world and go, well, I know this and this and this, and, and I have this question over here, and I just need, I would believe if I just had this one little question answered. Again, we'll put my hands in my pocket to sign. Don't lift your hands for this. Is that, has that been your life? I would believe if it just weren't for that one little question over here. You can't think your way through this. What was the song? I can't. I, this is, Ted doesn't know I'm going to ask him this question, so if you don't know it. You, we sang a song today. Said, Bring all your doubts and all your questions. There's room. Wasn't that the lyric? Because they can't stick around that long with him. Isn't, wasn't, we sang that song this morning. The way. There's room for you to bring that stuff in 
But when you're doing it and it's not where Jesus is going in your life, he knows what you need and he's going to talk about what you need. Nicodemus needed to understand that you don't do this by by keeping the law. You do this by submitting and trusting God as your Savior. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness to cure snake bites. You trust God as your Savior. It's always been that story. We say, well, trust Jesus. That's a big... Look, everybody who ever did it had to trust God that he was going to provide a Savior even before Jesus. And then when God provided Jesus, we know a little bit more, but we still have to trust that something that didn't really make a bunch of sense to us, like Jesus dying on a cross outside of Jerusalem 1,900 years ago, 1,980 years ago, saves us. Does that make sense? On a math level, on a science level. No, it doesn't, but it does in the trust level. What's this glimpse of Jesus? That, what, what is this glimpse? So the first one was, is Jesus is always welcoming. So if you're going to follow him, be welcoming. Isn't that what I said the first glimpse was? The second glimpse was this. There's no room for the accuser because everybody comes needing something. This glimpse, as you find yourself in the story, recognize that you need to be changed. You need to be welcomed. You need to come. You need to recognize that the that you're not right, that every, you haven't done everything right, and you need the Spirit inside you. And, and that comes by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you need to be changed. Now, even if you do that under the cover of night, in the stealth, in your closet, you come to Jesus Jesus doesn't let you stay stealthy forever. When Jesus was killed on the cross, it was Nicodemus and another that had to go and ask for his body. That is a public thing. You don't get to be that way. So what do we want out of today? When we get these glimpses of Jesus and we're reading the story, first, my hope is, is that when you read the stories, you'll take the time to find yourself in the story. You're not the whole story, but you're in there. Because it's his story. But you're in his story. He's included you. So find yourself in the story. Number two, If you can't find somebody to bring yourself to bring you to Jesus, then bring yourself. If you bring yourself, then bring somebody else too. We all do that. Because number three, we're not called to be stealthy Christians. 
Jesus doesn't have room in there for people to be stealthy about it. The people around you need to know that you've been changed. Otherwise, how will they know that a change is possible? This is how it goes. And I have just one little thing out there for you that I'm going to add to this, and then I'm going to wrap up. Let's say for a second that you know this Jesus. I know this Jesus. Having needed a Savior, you don't ever become a person that still doesn't need that Savior. We never become a people that don't need the Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the way you move in our hearts, the way that sometimes we don't get it. Help us trust you in those spots because, frankly, there's going to be places we don't get it. There's places I don't get it. I still just need to trust you. In your precious name, amen.